Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. That doesn't change. I'm always going to be here and you keep coming back. So I'm not sure what that's about, but you know that this month in August, we're talking about Artistic August. And you know that this is something near and dear to my heart because I firmly believe that, especially as we get back to the uh, crazy grind of the world as it's moving again, we don't want to lose sight of the things that really made a difference in our lives during a crazy thing called a pandemic. And that's the impact and the true impact of art on our lives, personally and professionally. Now, my guest has such an intriguing background, but what he's doing today is even more important. But let's just go backwards just a little bit because he's got such a great backstory and you're going to have a lot of, lot of fun with it. So Vincent James has been circulating in the music world for over three decades, which is impossible because he's only 35 years old. Um, and he began as a songwriter and he penned uh, a little uh, a little thing called Rock and Roll and Wrestling Connection. Now, those of you who are, might be a little older than him or me, no, I guess that we're probably the same age. In the mid 80s, uh, there was a little thing uh, where Cyndi Lauper kept showing up in WWE. And uh, it was uh, it was a great this kind of strange crossover. It was like right when she was coming to musical power and uh, people like Hulk Hogan and uh, Roddy, Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, loved his kilt all the time where they were having a lot of fun together and really actually creating um, some synergy between the world. So Vincent was a little bit a part of that. Now, later though, he said, okay, maybe not songwriting for now. Now I'm going to manage some bands. And he managed a lot of local bands and helped them to book and promote hundreds of live shows. But eventually he thought maybe it's time for me to actually go to the artistic route again. Maybe not just songwriter, but hmm, what else can I do with that? And he released, uh, wrote and released several recordings, including a couple national singles and one single, One More Night. And if you go uh, uh, Google him, and you uh, find this song, you will know this song. Well, if you're my age, uh, and it launched his transition to Mr. Love Songs. So I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there because over the next decade, he wrote dozens of love songs that were customized for weddings, anniversaries, other occasions. And he had a great uh, way to do this through lovesongs.com. And I think it's fantastic. Now, before we get to what he's doing today, I also wanted to make mention him. He and his wife published uh, a book called 88 Plus Ways Music Can Change Your Life. And the reason behind the book, it featured inspirational music stories about how uh, music does change people's lives, but it also included stories and anecdotes from both regular and famous musicians. And uh, some of them that you would know, you know, little people like Vanessa Carlton or Simon Kirk or Bobby Timble. Hey, you know what? I don't know. There's a few more in there that you might really love. And uh, then again, they had a sequel to it called 88 More Ways Music Can Change Your Life. And 80% of their profits for their books go to support what we're going to talk a lot about today which is 
his nonprofit that he and his wife run. It's called Keep Music Alive, and it partners with over 1,000 music schools, music stores, and other organizations who offer free lessons to students and special events that benefit and celebrate kids playing music. So that's where we really wrap this back around. I mean, they do these things from performances. They're, they're doing uh, instrument petting zoos, which the concept I totally get and I love the way that it is. Drum and ukulele circles and instrument donation drives and more. And lots and lots of great celebrities are signed on to help promote this because it's something that really makes a difference. Few you might know, you know, little known people like Julie Andrews or Jack Black or Sarah McLaughlin, Kenny Loggins, Michael Feinstein, Vanessa Williams, Pat Benatar. Holy moly. And what he's doing with this is changing lives in kids who might not have access to music. And we know that music programs have been cut left and right, doggone it, in our country. And that's why we brought him on today. So Vincent, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, you're welcome, Michael. Thank you. That was a Amazing introduction. Thank you so much. You are hired. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm a pitch person. Woo! <laughs> Thank well, you. I love it. You you have obviously you have a great backstory and you know you've you've been in so many different critical elements of the music industry as people know it, you know, professional music industry. But you've also had a lot of different fun interactions. I love, you know, the Mr. Love songs. I think that's such a critical part for us to know how much music plays on our emotions too. But I also know that your project today is very passionate. So tell us a little bit more in your own words about you. Maybe, you know, what brought you to where you guys are today? A little of your story, uh, fun stories. I don't care. I'm just going to throw it to you and see what you want to tell <laughs> us to kick it off. Well, it's really funny, Michael, how this all started. You know, as, as you noted in my introduction, I bounced around through several different areas, which I enjoyed. And, you know, I was pretty good at them. But along the way through those 30 years, I never really felt like I was truly doing my full purpose of what I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. And then one day I was drawn to listen to a teleseminar training about how everyone has a book inside them they need to write. And mm-hmm. honestly, Michael, I never thought I would write a book because by day I'm an engineer. By night and weekends, I do all this music stuff because I'm going back and forth. I'm not really an expert <laughs> on any it's like a jack of all trades right who's going to buy a book i'm not an expert but when i'm on this call it was like a bolt of lightning hit me well what about a book of inspirational stories of how music impacted people's lives i wouldn't have to write anything i would just gather the stories (laughs) edit them and then we would publish them and inspire others to play music and to share the gift of music because i know how important it is to me and then along the way as we started doing research this whole thing kind of morphed eventually into the Keep Music Alive nonprofit uh, later, you know, months, year later or so. Uh, as we dig into all the research and peel the layers back off the onion, you realize, you know, how, you know, the, the effects that music has on kids, you know, the developmental years, the effects yes. it has on people in different therapeutic situations, the social benefits for kids and adults playing music in different situations. It's just amazing to me. And, and so, I've been on fire for the last six, seven years since we had this idea. And, um, you know, I may dabble in some of these other things again. I don't know about the rock and roll and wrestling, but and I think I left out the Y2K song that was in the middle there somewhere. That's right. That's right. The Y2K song. <laughs> but, but, you know, my primary focus is going to be advocating for music and music education, because that's just really where my heart is and sharing that and advocating as much as we can. 
And it's so important. I mean, I was very fortunate. So, you know, growing up in grade school, you know, you, you basically kind of had to take an instrument. In fact, I think it might've been a requirement. I don't know, but I, you know, my mom, my mom decided for me that I was going to play the violin and I played the violin for six years. And then I was like, I'm not playing the violin anymore, which I'm <laughs> sorry that I let it go. But I mean, I played lots of instruments and I sang, you know, mostly my musical talents were with singing, not so much all the instruments, but you, you really do. You learn not only, you know, is it good for you? Um, it's good for your mind because you're focusing on something in a completely different way. I mean, I, to this day, if I picked up a violin, I probably wouldn't play it very well, but I'd probably still remember where the little um, dots were that I- <laughs> Muscle memory, it would start to come back pretty quick, Michael. You know, I know that I could actually probably do the bow skills still pretty well, because yep. that I, I remember, you know, just the, the, the working of the bow, was such a different movement than playing a sport or, you know, writing, you know, with your hands or, you know, just lots of different things that you get, but also there's a sense of community. You know, when you play in a band or you play in an orchestra, you are expected to play your part and your part is important. And I think that the same thing with a sports team, you know, there's so many places in life where those kind of experiences are so important, but for kids who, you know, there are a lot of kids who aren't great at sports, but music may be that way that they find that, that, that tribe that they really fit in and that they learn to, to be really proud of their success that they have for themselves, but for the group. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, the, you know, the, it's basically a team, as you mentioned, it's similar to sports and you're, you're building up not only just your skills, your musical skills, but your social skills as you're, you know, connecting mm -hmm. with your tribe. And, and you mentioned earlier about, you know, the, the, the brain benefits we like to talk about in music. When you're playing an instrument, you are firing back and forth between the left logical and the right creative sides much more than almost anything we do as humans. And they've actually done research where that tunnel, it's got a fancy name called the corpus callosum, gets bigger in kids. Really? You know, they've done research and test studies. It gets bigger for the kids that have had musical education during their developmental years. So this is how we get thinkers outside the box, the scientists, the doctors, the entrepreneurs, and so on, that you know, go on later to discover great things. Now, not, not all of them were musicians, but if you do a random survey of many of the successful, you know, careers that I mentioned, you know, you'll find that there was music education in their background more often than not. Isn't that, I had no idea, but it makes a lot of sense because part of your brain has to be thinking, okay, I've got to follow the notes. Following the notes is, is almost a mathematical analytical port portion, yeah. but I have to make it have emotion. And I have to remember, you know, whether I'm soft or loud or, you know, intense, that those are the creative sides that have to work in concert. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> it was unavoidable. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That makes so much sense. I love it. And then you add on the motor skills that you're having yeah. to do for your finger position. We had, there's a story from the book about a gal who played piano uh, at a pretty high level. And then she had a stroke and, uh, you know, the whole right side of her, you know, she had to drag her leg, right leg to walk and her right arm wouldn't do anything. But she was so impassioned wanting to play music again that, you know, she forced herself eventually to play again with her right hand. And it was that drive to and she believes also her musical experience for the couple decades before that, that enabled her to recover in a way that she probably wouldn't have otherwise. 
Yeah, to fire those parts of her brain back up again that maybe they they had the possibility because they had so much muscle memory in there. Yes. Wow. The brain is an amazing thing. And we're only scratching the surface in our no lifetime no of what the brain's capable of. No kidding. Well, and you know, I like I told you, I was never um, the greatest musician. I wasn't. I wasn't bad. I was. I you know, I was always good enough for whatever I was doing. But I. I was not. There was no virtuoso with me, and I do remember actually when I gave up the violin and I still had to to uh, play an instrument for one year, and I took on the flute, mm -hmm. and then. But I'd never been taught because I'd only used, you know, a violin. I'd never been taught, you know, to use that. So I kept making myself so dizzy. I'd almost pass out because I didn't have good. You had to use the breath, breath. right? <laughs> breathe, Michael, breathe. I, know. I learned it better when I started singing. So that helped. But, <laughs> but I was thinking, um, you know, I played, I never really, pl I never played the piano. We had an organ. We had a two level organ and mm -hmm. I hated having to play the organ. I wanted to play the piano, um, but that's what we had. So that's what I played. And then I, you know, was by that time I was a, you know, a cranky teenager. So I was like, I'm not doing that anymore, <laughs> but I can still sit down at a piano and I don't, I'm not as good at reading music anymore, but I, there's something in some of the chords or things that I can play don't I, you know, I don't follow anything, but I can make sounds that are very pleasing to me and kind of pleasing to others. But I couldn't do that when I was playing the, the organ or the piano before. So it's really weird that for me later in life, like I, if I had a piano at home, I'd probably just sit down and just kind of play a little bit. I always right. played more than by ear, but I, it makes me wonder about, you know, people who've continued to play, you know, that they start young and they continue to play and they, they adapt and maybe they're never going to be professional at it, but what kind of, you know, what kind of creativity does that create in them when they play long throughout their life? There must be both joy, but incredible, but additional skill sets that come with that. Yes, you feel and that, and especially, that, that right, is that right? Am I right with that? Yeah. And especially if, you know, if they intentionally explore different types of music along the way, they don't just become locked in. All right. This is what I learned in the seventies. And this is all I do. I'm not, you know, it's, it's like anything else. You have to learn new things to expand the brain. Yeah. Uh, you need to try different styles, different songs, different genres. Otherwise we get locked in and, and then we just kind of go in this tunnel. Yeah. Well, I also knew um, friends in high school who played so many different instruments. I, there were, there were twins uh, in my class and they were both incredibly great singers and incredible musicians. But like, you know, one time the, the, the gal, you know, it was a gal and a guy, twins, and one, she'd be playing the French horn and then she'd be playing the, you know, flute and then she'd be playing the piano and then she's playing the guitar. And, and I, I just remember going, how, how are these people <laughs> born? Like, it's this, yes. it's just amazing to me. We, we ran into a fellow uh, recently He's actually 15 years old. Uh, he's from the West Coast, and he now can play at a good level uh, 107 unique instruments. Uh, wow. Just amazing, you know, his story is starting to light up all over the place. And they credited to when his parents were, uh, when his mother was pregnant, uh, they got a book out of the library about pregnancy, and the book recommended that they, you play music for your unborn child, specifically Mozart. So they would take the speaker and put it up to his mom's belly and they would do this a lot. And then, wow. you know, whether that was the reason or you know, it certainly seemed to not have a, it seemed to have some sort of effect because by the time he was six, you know, he was considered, uh, he started playing drums first and they put him in front of a drum kit and he was like, 
you know, it was like he had had lessons for quite a while and everybody was amazed and then it just took off from there. But so, yeah, it's some people like the twins, you know, you just don't know where did they get from. It always amazes me. I'm like, man, well, I would have loved to have that kind yeah. of talent. No kidding. Well, and thankfully so many people have, and we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk more about, about your organization, because I think there's such a, a joy in what you're doing, especially giving kids access to lessons and, and music and, and instruments to be able to, uh, to find what they have within them. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Are you tired of the time and expense of going to the salon for a mani-pedi? If so, Color Street is your answer. Base, color, and top coats are blended together in an incredible polished strip that you apply yourself. The result? A brilliant salon quality manicure in just minutes with no dry time, smudges, or streaks. These strips are 100% real nail polish, not stickers. They're flexible, can be gently stretched for a perfect fit, and last up to 10 days. I've been using them for months now and love the amazing selection of colors and styles, along with the ability to create my own unique manicure by mixing and matching. Shop today and support our sponsor, Betsy Roberts, by ordering at colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 209-5611. Again, that's colorstreet.com backslash BH Roberts backslash party backslash 209 five six one one or simply click the link in our show notes and we are back with vincent james and we are talking um i really want to dive down more about you know keep music alive so i know this became your passion and that you're you know this is something that you are really uh getting some great traction with it sounds like but you know how how did this start and where you know what was your first organization or school that said yeah we want to partner with you you know what what were some of the, the initial steps that got you really rolling and excited about what the potential was? Well, it's kind of funny, Michael. It was back in, I think, March March of 2016, where I'm like, you know, there should be a week every year where musicians, you know, offer a free lesson to somebody just to kind of, you know, wet their whistle, get them started, get them interested in it. Uh, so all I did was just put out a couple social media posts, you know, and then March rolled around the next year. I'm like, you know, let me try to see if I can get some PR. You know, I wrote for a couple of local newspapers and they're like, oh, you know, it was a reporter. God bless her. You know, well, do you have any music schools that are participating that I could talk to? I'm like, oh, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I started re- yeah, so I, exactly. So I started reaching out. So that second year we had 23 music schools and I think eight states that said yes. And it was just, you know, we built our own homegrown database of, you know, thanks to Dr. Google of now yeah. of like 5,000 music schools and stores that we reach out to, uh, encouraging them to participate. And then we just grew it organically year after year. And I think after the second or third Teach Music Week, we ran into a gal who was doing something called Kids Yoga Day. And I'm like, Kids Yoga Day, that's really cool. Yeah. I wonder if there's a Kids Music Day. <laughs> So, you know, we looked it up. No such thing. Well, there is now. Yes. And then we started doing that. And that's where they, you know, music schools and stores offer some sort of event or promotion that either benefits or celebrates kids playing music. And that's where they're the instrument petting zoos, the mm-hmm. student performances, either like in-house at their location or out in the community, instrument donation drives, kids open mics, mm-hmm. whatever they can think of, you know, we will help to promote and the idea is to raise a loud enough voice so we can get the media everywhere talking about it and then back to the public 
to the parents and the communities and the, you know, the school boards and everybody, let's get more kids involved in music and the arts. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's like you said, I mean, it's really smart business for those music schools too, because if, you know, cause it, it opens the door to maybe somebody says, Hey, all right, we want to, you know, I think, you know, Johnny needs to go there and that's, so it's, it's like a free sample, right? So you get it and you go, Hey, I like that. I want to keep it. Like chocolate at the grocery store. I don't think I'm going to get that. <laughs> exactly. But you know what I, what I love too, and where you you're going with this, it makes me think of, you know, probably about, 10 years ago, I was, you know, going through stuff at my mom's house and they came across my violin from sixth grade. And I'm like, why do we still have the violin? I had no idea. And it was a really beautiful violin. And of course, by that time, you know, terribly out of uh, shape. Hadn't, I mean, it'd been kept in its case and it was a nice case, but still, you know, there's going to be some wear and tear, but I didn't mm -hmm. know what to do with it. So I actually took it to a violin store and, uh, you know, basically kind of sold it on consignment and somebody mm -hmm. bought it. But now as I'm hearing your story, I'm like, what a, if I, if there would have been something like that, that I knew of, what a beautiful gift that, you know, to say, here's an instrument that probably just needs to be tuned up, probably, you know, somebody just needs to do a few things to it, but it's a gorgeous violin. I'd love somebody to have that be their first experience. And so I can see that what you can do with your um, instrument drives would be really, really powerful because not everybody can afford an instrument as well. Yes, yes, yes. And we work with a national, another national organization called Hungry for Music. So we do, you know, we'll do a local, local instrument donation drive here, uh, but we don't, place the instruments we have you know a local other nonprofit school that we donate to and if they're not able to use it to we contact hungry for music and they have volunteers all over the country that pick up the instruments they have people that repair them if they need to mm. if they can't be repaired they actually repurpose them as like a lamp in the ha in your house or some other piece of furniture or something so that it's not going into the landfill right and then something like that so a music lover would buy that and then that continues to, to support and fund the program. Yes, the cycle, yes. I love it. Why do you, you know, I know it seems like a silly question to ask, especially given all we've been talking about, but why do you believe that, that art and music is so important, especially in our world today? Well, it's interesting, Michael. I, before we started all this, I really didn't pay it much mind. You know, I'm on my own, just doing my own thing. But then as you start to really focus on, you know, what we're doing and the advocacy and you start thinking about it, you know, I've really come to believe that, you know, art, you know, music and arts, dance, all the different arts is really what makes us human, you know, otherwise we would just be a computer or machine. Uh, you know, what would be the difference if we didn't have our culture uh, and all the different varied beautiful cultures around the world? Uh, so I think that's really why we need, you know, we need music and art to express ourselves, to for therapeutic, you know, reasons mm -hmm. to be able Absolutely. to be, to calm ourselves, to get ourselves psyched up when we need to be, and to just laugh sometimes, you know, it's, we got, yeah, like from your wife's song. <laughs> yeah, there's some funny stuff in that song. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I think that it's, um, it's something that, you know, a lot of people began to appreciate art in a lot of different forms, like the art of baking, you know, during the pandemic, you know, yes. the, uh, yeah, the art of gardening, the art of, you know, mowing your own lawn. And, um, and those, I mean, you can find art in a lot of different scenarios when you look for it. And when you do, you usually find some, some peace or joy with that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. 
so what what what's in the future then for uh, for your projects for you know keep music alive, but also maybe you know I don't know if there's any other books, but you know what do you see as the next evolution of where you guys are going? Oh well, we're always looking for new stories for the eighty eight ways music book series, and and as you mentioned, we donate eighty percent of the proceeds to actually four different music and service nonprofits, and just trying to spread the wealth there. Uh, so there will eventually be another book. And for Keep Music Alive, we're just continuing to build it up, you know, year by year. Uh, we also do year round, uh, as the pandemic is not here, eventually. Uh, we do musical, mm -hmm. our own musical instrument petting zoo events, you know, around the Philadelphia area, at schools and libraries and, uh, and outdoor functions. And, and we also do special ones for uh, children that are on the spectrum. And, mm -hmm. you know, where it's just solely dedicated to them and they come in with their families. And, you know, it's just the joy that you get, you know, watching children really of all abilities, you know, when they come in to see the instruments and many of them are touching an instrument for the very first time, yeah. you know, and they're playing, you know, you, you, we have volunteer artists that come to show them how to hold the guitar, put the pick in their hand, you know, and if they want to play the electric guitar, you know, put it up a little bit of fuzz and, you know, the excitement and the joy and they look at mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever brought them like, you know, can, can I do this? And that's yeah. when we know, you know, we have served our mission, you know, we've lit another spark and got more people interested and it's children especially in playing music and then anything we can do to help make it easier you know through lessons and instrument donations or whatever because not everybody has the ability to be able to do it otherwise mm -hmm. yeah it's so true and and uh you know i think about i, I was actually uh, interviewing somebody else that uh, i'll i'll connect you with later um because i think he would be his story would be great for your uh for your next book but uh, he's in this series. His name is Dimitri, and uh, you know he, he grew up. Uh, he grew up in you know under the Soviet, you know, kind of the the old Russia. Um, and then as he, you know, as that started to break break down, um, he found a the uh, kind of joy in playing the violin. So we were having this you know violin discussion. He now makes violins. But oh, I love that. But he his first violin was you know one of those that was mass produced and and uh, and he you know his teacher kept trying to get him to to bring out you know this glorious music in in it and he's like finally he's like I just said I I can't I cannot create music like you create and I he said I put my violin in the case and the and the bow in the case and I shut it and I expected him to say and I walked out and wasn't going to play but instead he looked at his teacher and he said. I can't play it because my instrument, you have a beautiful instrument. Mine is not. Help me fix my violin. Yes. yes. And, and violin, especially, as you know, you know, if you have an inexpensive instrument, it's really hard. Our daughter plays violin just, you know, for fun. And, you know, originally mm -hmm. she had an instrument that was the, you know, hundred dollar yeah. off the website, you know, and, yeah. you know, it's very hard to make, you know, beautiful sounds on that yeah. level of a violin. But it's a good way to find out whether or not they're serious about playing it. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, Vincent, it's a great story. I'm so glad you shared it with us. And I want to make sure that people um, are able to know more about what you're doing. And we'll have all your contact information on the show notes. But just in case somebody wants to look you up right now while they're listening to you, what's the best way for them to find you? Uh, thank you, Michael. The best way would be for the book series. It's just 88waysmusic.com. 88 for the number of keys on the piano. And then for the nonprofit Keep Music Alive, it's keepmusicalive.org. Wonderful. Yes. I was, 
I should have known it was 88 keys. I forgot there's 88 keys on the keyboard. See, it's been too long. I was like, I wonder why 88. And I meant to ask you that, but I didn't. Oh, I feel a little, little, a uh, little embarrassed, but I'm not going to let that bother me. That's right. So You're we- not the first I get that question from. It's, <laughs> it's always interesting. I don't know. From, so some of us, it's, you know, I might not have thought of it if I didn't think of it. And it's brilliant. I love it. And musicians <laughs> are going to go, oh, I get it. 88. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Oh, I would just encourage people that whatever passion you're trying to pursue, whatever business case you're trying to do is just to be persistent and consistent with it. I mean, the reason we've had, I believe, one of the reasons so much success with what we're doing now is because we've been consistently doing it, you know, for seven years now, building it up. We're not like jumping around, trying this, trying that. We're just keeping at it and keeping at it. And, uh, and one of the things that I would like to share with people is that silence never means no. If you ask somebody for something, you send an email, you make a phone call, leave a message and you don't hear back, don't assume the answer is no. Until they tell you no, wait a week or two, try again. Wait mm-hmm. a week or two, try again. You know, it goes in their spam folder, they're busy, they had to think about it, they're on vacation. And the mm-hmm. list goes on of why they might not have responded to you. This is how we were able to get Julie Andrews as a Kids Music Day ambassador. We didn't give up. We, we wrote to her people for many different things. Never heard anything. Had no idea if any of her people were even getting the emails. But we just kept coming at her asking different things at her people. And eventually they came back. Julie would love to be a Kids Music Day ambassador. And then uh, that just started the snowball rolling for many others to say yes. Yes. Absolutely. That is great. I think it's a fantastic advice and it does remind you. And it also makes me laugh because I'm, I currently have 204 emails in my inbox and people are like, did you see my email? I'm like, please don't send me another email asking if I saw the email. (laughs) Please don't. It is difficult. People in your position get so many. I can't even imagine, you know, I know how many I get. It's enough. If if it's in my inbox, I have to do something with it. So it's not, I know people who have tens of thousands. I couldn't handle that. I get, when I have more than 10, I have a heart attack. So, I'm with so you. yes, absolutely. Persistence and, and, and continuing to find ways, especially when it's something that's very important and you're passionate about, don't give up just because it's not easy. Bingo. Yes. Love it. Vincent, thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, telling us more about Keep Music Alive. I love what you're doing and I'm so grateful for uh, learning about it and connecting with you. Uh, And thank you for being our guest. Oh, you're so welcome, Michael. And thank you so very much for having me on Shock Your Potential. This has been great. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees and sales mixology. Why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.